and welcome to Songs for the Struggling Artist, the blogcast. This is episode 173. Thank you for being here with me. My name is Emily Rainbow Davis, and I am very glad to be uh, talking to you today. Um, whenever today may be for you, I am recording this well in advance of when it will air. So if giant things have happened in the news, and probably they have, um, uh, that I, I don't know about it here in the past. <laughs> so, uh, who knows what it might be though, right? Uh, anyway, today's episode, uh, was inspired by a show that I saw, um, and I think I don't need to tell you more, too much more about it. Um, the show is called American Moore. And um, it may, I hope, get a chance to, like, tour some more. It was um, here in New York, and I know it closed not so long ago, um, but I hope that it gets, a, gets more of a life. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a really smart piece of work, so people should see it. If it comes to you, go. Um, so I, here I am. I'm going to read it to you. It is called Who Gets to Rage in American Theater? Or... Some Stuff I Learned from American Moore. The show nailed the standard white American male theater director so well, I found I had fantasies of kicking his head down the road a few days later. Forgive me, the violent imagery, but I guess I'm a little bit furious. American Moore is a show about an actor grappling with the weight of Othello. Caught in a tug-of-war between the demands of the racist American theater system and his African-American peers, the character rails and resists. He wants to rage against the injustices that rain down, but he keeps himself in check. He also attempts to audition for the role. The last half of the piece is a glimpse of both that audition and the internal struggle of adapting to its demands. While much of the show addresses the specificity of this actor's experience, specifics that I, as a white woman, do not share, I found myself relating to it deeply. One of the themes that kept arising was the way the actor's black male body was a source of fear for white theater makers. This character had to continually manage the racist fears of the people around him. His getting a job depended on his presenting a minimized self, a nice, safe, unchallenging version of himself, one that has never known anger and would never need to express it. I relate to this, despite the fact that, much to my dismay, no one is ever frightened of me. No one assumes I am powerful and aggressive, not ever. I don't have to adjust my presence in a room to placate that fear because no one ever fears it. I have, however, in my acting days, turned myself way down in order to appear ladylike, like I could be an ingenue. I have shrunk myself into a girlish form so as to be seen as a possible object. I know what it's like to bring all my intelligence to a part and then be asked to ingratiate myself, to seduce, to giggle, to be more malleable. And anger? What is anger? Why should I be angry? I'm sweet and nice. 
I know what it feels like to have to hide myself and defer to the patronizing white guy with all the power and authority. It is fundamentally why I stopped acting. Because being asked to do only one thing when I am built to do 20 other things was more frustration than I was prepared to handle. And for entirely different reasons than the character in American Moore, I too would never be allowed to express my rage in the theater. As I watched the show, the director in me wanted to push aside the character of the patriarchal dolt in charge and take over his show. Oh, you can't recognize the opportunity that is in front of you? Oh, you can't set aside your own limited understanding to make space for the human being in the room with you? You don't know how to do that? Well, I do. Get out of my damn way, dude. And in part, this is why I quit directing. There are too many pricks in power. They kept wanting me to be like them. So much of my experience in and out of classical theater in America suddenly made sense. It made a kind of sense that made me want to run screaming through the streets, but still, sense. Seeing the racism that this performer encountered in the worlds I have touched down in was chilling. I have seen some of it with my own eyes and failed to recognize how awful it was. I have seen classical scholars or theater makers look black men up and down and ask, have you played him? I've seen that. It happens all the time. Just the other day, I saw a post about Denzel Washington's upcoming performance as Macbeth, and someone commented that he'd rather see him as Othello. Fact is, that commenting guy already sees Denzel Washington as Othello. It is the only part that guy can imagine a black guy doing. This is not something I have had to deal with. There are one to four women in each play, and there is not one whose race is specified. No one will ever ask if I've played her. No one would know who they meant. I am lucky that way. By the end of this show, tears were streaming down my face. I wasn't entirely sure why. In part, I think... It's because it ended with a possibility of transformation. The show had a hope for a moment that the white guy director could see a way to change and help bring forth that change. I think I was crying, though, because I didn't believe for a minute that that guy was going to change. I knew he wouldn't. Spoiler alert, he didn't. And I came all over mournful for the state of American theater and how little hope I have for it's doing anything much different than it has always done. I mean, sure, the Me Too movement has made waves and we've ousted the most egregious examples in the theater, but mostly, if dudes manage to keep their hands more or less to themselves, it's still their sandbox. One of the themes of American Moore was how the character, pigeonholed into Othello, really wanted to play Titania and Festy and Juliet. And honestly, if I had my hands on a theater with a budget, I would cast him that way without even hesitating. I think a lot of us on the outskirts of the American theater would make that choice. 
but the mainstream is stuck in a world where everyone has to look the part, where Desdemonas have to be tiny, beautiful, and blonde, and black men can only play Othello, and it shall always be thus, now and forever. And maybe it seems like it's just classical theater that is like this, but it isn't. Many of the plays that continue to march through our stages enforce similar status quos. Every theater wants to do their artistic director's true West, and almost every artistic director is the same variety of white man. White guys raging at each other is American theater's brand. There are changes coming, I know. I know there's a wave of people of color stepping into authority at theaters across America, but while it's still news, still an exceptional shift, it feels like that change is a very long way off. Anyway, I'll be over here kicking an imaginary white guy director's head down the road for a while, and hopefully someone stepping into new power and authority will cast the guy from American Moore as Titania soon. I hope his Titania rages. I've worked out that there's a small pattern here in my writing about productions that I see. It's like, if you make me cry, then you're getting something. <laughs> like, if I have an emotional response to the thing that I see, because it's actually really hard to make uh, make me cry in the theater. It's really easy to make me cry in a movie or on TV. Like, I will cry at a Kleenex commercial, no problem. But uh, in the theater, it's actually really rare that I have a... A, a visceral emotional response so um when it happens I feel like I, I feel compelled to to talk about it somehow um and also I mean the other way to get me to write about a theater production is to make me really mad <laughs> yeah that that also happens although yeah I feel like I'm I get a little bit mad a lot but to if I get really mad then 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 a post is on the way um yeah. So that but this production, yeah, if you can if you can see it go. Uh I think um it's really brave and I hate when people say brave. Um I, say, I hate when they say it to me and I bet this guy probably hates it when people say it to him too cuz like I'm sure it's just what's necessary. Um but given how the American theater works, it feels quite brave to challenge it to its face. <laughs> I admire it a lot. I feel, um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's quite courageous in a, in a really, um, in a really uncourageous world. <laughs> no disrespect. No, there's a little disrespect for the theater world. I'm sorry. You know, I love you theater, but <laughs> respect must be earned. Anyway, I have feelings about theater, um, and and I think a, a mournful feeling about it, too, is that, you know, I'm not doing it. Like, I, I, I can't under the current circumstances, both my own and, and the sort of structure of the way it works. Um, yeah, so I, I get a little worked up sometimes. Woo! Um, yeah, so uh, today's song, I have been sort of messing around with a few different options um, 
weirdly, there's no pop song about Othello. Can you believe it? I bet you can believe it, but there isn't one. Um, so I was looking at a couple of kind of ragey songs, um, working on them. And then <laughs> this is kind of a funny turnaround, but, um, in the grocery store, they were playing, uh, Nick Kershaw's Wouldn't It Be Good. And it inspired a whole really fun conversation, um, with my boyfriend where, <laughs> uh, we talked about Nick Kershaw, who made Wouldn't It Be Good. And I thought Nick Kershaw was Australian. He's not. I thought he was, though. But because I thought he was Australian, I started telling Scott all of these stories about this this sort of period in my, like, preteen years where I was really obsessed with Australia um, because of a movie that I saw called Starstruck. And I think I have a couple of listeners in Australia and New Zealand. Did you guys see this movie? Um, anyway, I loved this movie so much, and I completely sort of, like, forgotten about it uh, until we heard Wouldn't It Be Good in the grocery store, which actually has nothing to do with Starstruck in the end. Um, but it, it was a funny uh, – sent me down a, a funny memory lane. And it feels like it was probably fairly formative <laughs> – like there's just something about it that that like resonates deep, like really deep in there, you know. Like just looking at the image of the poster was just like bells were ringing all over the place. <laughs> um, yeah, it's I I would love to see it again. It might be tricky to find, but um, it's out there. I'm sure. It is not, by the way, the Disney Star Trek Star Star Trek that I would see that movie uh starstruck um there is a Disney starstruck uh which I have no interest in seeing whatsoever but the Australian indie film from 1982 starstruck was um yeah I'd be very curious to see again anyway that's all beside the point entirely um I I decided to go ahead and go with wouldn't it be good uh because there is a way where I think like, I would like to be, I would like, like there's some kind of dream about being someone else and being exactly the thing that you definitely cannot be. Um, and I feel like there's some, some sort of sense of identification, um, in that and recognizing both the ways that we are like each other and the ways we, we cannot be like each other. Um, there's just, it's just a, a, uh, but yeah, anyway, that's what the world, that's what the, the show sort of did for my brain. And so the song seemed like it might be, might fit, fit right in there. Not, it's not direct, but as, as I say, there's not really a lot of Shakespeare pop tunes. So, uh, I'll give you that song in a minute. Meanwhile, if you would like to support the podcast, uh, please let someone know about it. Um, there's a, about 20 people who listen. So if 20 people told, uh, one person, that would be like so many people that, the, that one person would have to then actually listen to it. But anyway, so yeah, tell somebody that'd be awesome. And, uh, also like sharing stuff, um, ret retweeting, liking all of those things. And thank you 
for doing that. If you are one of those people who are doing that, thank you very much. Uh, uh, if you'd like to support the podcast um, financially, there's Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Emily R. Davis. Uh, you get um, at the end of the year, I give all of my patrons um, a, a zine and uh, all of the music that's featured on the podcast. So that's interesting to you. That's there. Um, other ways to support the podcast financially are Kofi and PayPal. All of those links are in the show notes. And that is all, I do believe. So without further ado, I give to you, wouldn't it be good? I got it bad. You don't know how bad I got it. You got it easy. You don't know when you've got it good. It's getting harder. Just keeping life and soul together. I'm sick of fighting, even though I know I should. The cold is biting through each and every nerve. If you know what's good for you, the heat.